All right. Welcome back to the CASA Advocacy Update Podcast. I'm joined by Alex Clark himself. I'm Logan. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. Welcome to the, welcome to the podcast. Welcome We're to the podcast. To, yeah, welcome to the podcast. We're here to uh, disseminate information um, and hopefully... Uh, I don't know, keep everybody informed this week on what's coming up. And I guess we can we can kind of hop right into that. We've got some calls to action going on. We've got some news. And then later on in the podcast, Alex has some more nitty gritty details about the uh, about the vape mail ban. So stick around at the end for that. But uh, let's get right into this, Alex. What do we got this week for CASA calls to action bills happening right now? So uh, this, well, this is a little bit of a recap from last week. If you were paying, if everybody was paying attention to everything that we put out, <clears throat> um, we put out a couple of engagements for Alaska. Uh, Alaska is looking at a bill that, uh, I'm sorry, actually it's just one engagement, but it deals with two things. Uh, one of which is a 75% wholesale tax on vapor products that includes everything, devices and liquids. Uh, and a ban on online sales to consumers. Now, uh, the first part should grab your attention clearly, but uh, the second part is kind of, we'll get into a little bit of this later on when we touch back with the the, the bait mail ban. Um, but <clears throat> as we noted on our engagement, um, Hawaii and Alaska are, that there are exceptions for uh, intra-state shipping. So an Alaska business can still, would still be able to ship to an Alaska consumer, uh, but outside retailers or, or distributors or anything like that, they're not going to be able to ship in to a, a consumer in Alaska or Hawaii. Uh, it's just intrastate stuff. And this is per the, the existing law, the existing regulation. Uh, so um, it is actually very important for people in Alaska to get concerned about an online sales ban because they will still have access to online retailers in the state of Alaska and Hawaii um, after the USPS finalizes their rule. Um, so that had a hearing on Friday. Uh, I'm not clear on what the outcome was. I actually was watching a little bit of it this morning to try to see what uh, maybe the committee decided for the next steps, uh, but there are no published updates as of yet. So. Um, we're continuing to watch that and we'll update everybody as it moves forward. Um, likely the next step, if it passes the committee, uh, it may go on to another committee or it may go on to a vote in uh, the full Senate. That's just part of the process and we'll see what happens next. So we're, we're still a ways away from this becoming a law, um, but uh, what that means is there'll be other opportunities for people in Alaska to get engaged. Now the online sales ban and the 75% wholesale tax, they're both part of SB 45? Correct. Okay, so I guess my only question, I'm not in Alaska, um, but why? what makes this special to have, why do we have two engagements for this specifically for we, one we, bill? We, we don't, I misspoke. Okay. Uh, we have one engagement and that engagement was encouraging people to participate in okay. this hearing. All right. um, so it, for, for people who aren't familiar with how Alaska works, uh, because Alaska has a lot of rural and remote 
uh, inhabitants and uh, communities. Um, what they have set up throughout the state are called uh, legislative information offices so that you don't have to uh, fly all the way into the state house, which most people would have to fly, uh, right. or not most people, but many people, some people, yeah. uh, in order to testify. So you can just show up at one of these offices or you can call in through the teleconference phone number uh, and participate in the hearing without having to travel all the way across the state, um, which sometimes involves roads and sometimes yeah. it doesn't yeah. uh, because that's how Alaska works. And Alaska has been doing this. There was just one engagement and they weren't like right. searching for another one, trying to figure out where they needed to go or whatever. That it's, Thanks. That it's you're, you're, you're stopping me short of nerding out about how Alaska has been doing this whole remote testimony, remote hearing thing for, for decades now. Uh, and uh, they actually have a, it seems to be a pretty good system that other states could probably emulate, especially now. I was just going to say pandemic <laughs> times, everyone yeah. should be looking at Alaska for how they're doing yeah. that. Yeah. Alaska. And it makes sense too. I mean, Alaska can be a really tricky place to traverse. And if there's just one main place where everybody needs to go for this, in order to have your constituents involved, you need to have these little these little legislative outpost places that people mm -hmm. can get to, 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 you know, to actively engage. Yeah. Yeah. So just one, just one call to action. It's SB, SB 45, 75% um, wholesale tax and excuse me, an online salesman. Okay. Perfect. I, I just wanted to make sure that people knew they only had to go to the one that it was all included in one and not, not so. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely encourage anybody in Alaska to get involved in that, because like you said, I mean, you know, the the nationwide vape mail ban, they can kind of they have the ability to kind of skirt that as long as, you know, vape shop remain open, as long as businesses, online retailers remain open in Alaska, they'll still be able to to ship to their fellow Alaskans. Yeah. Um, so the next one, if we're ready to go to New Mexico. I'm I'm ready to go to New Mexico, man. New York has been brutal up here. Let's just let's just hop on a plane, head over to New Mexico. Uh, I, I I actually drove around for. The, I haven't been out in a while. I haven't been out since the snowstorms that we've had through here. I drove around today with my wife and saw that we we did, actually did get quite a bit of snow up here. Uh, Where I'm is, at right now, just standing snow, like what's in everybody's yards, is about three and a half to four feet. Wow, like I think it's, we're. It's, it's deep right now. We're close to maybe a foot and a half, maybe two. It's hard to tell, like, because I, I get my perception is a little bit skewed seeing, you know, all the snow that gets plowed. So we, we definitely have these huge piles of snow everywhere. Oh, um, yeah. We have the mountains as well. You go to every parking lot and there's a there's a mountain of snow right now. Yeah. But yeah, just out in the yard. I mean, we've I, I haven't stuck a tape measure down in it, but it's it's got to be about three and a half four feet and some of the drifts and stuff. Yeah, it's, we have quite a bit of snow here in Western New York. All right, New Mexico. Enough New Mexico. New Let's move enough, on. New Mexico. about the weather. Yeah, uh, New Mexico. So um, for people who have been around for, I think, maybe five years, five or six years, uh, you may remember uh, Representative Liz Thompson from New Mexico. Um, this She was one of the first casualties of uh, a vapor-supported uh, campaign or I, it, that sounds like it was like super uh, influenced by vaping, but you know, there, I forget the name of the person who ran against her, but he did beat her in the election uh, and uh, vapors supported his, his candidacy. So she was unelected once, but she's come back 
Um, so um, she has introduced a bill called HB 205. And uh, this is probably one of the, the worst bills that we've seen uh, introduced in any state legislature other than Oregon's use of the word inhalant delivery system or inhalant delivery device. Um, this bill would criminalize possession and use of flavored tobacco and nicotine products for anyone. So th this it effectively puts, uh, maybe not from a, a penalty standpoint, but from a, a law enforcement perspective, um, this puts flavored vapor products on par with something like illicit drugs. Um, sure. So yeah, uh, it's a pup law, and it's uh, it yeah, and it's it's usually when we say pup law, that's purchase, use, and possession. Right. This is um, a, a it, possession, use, and sale. Uh, it's it's both possession, purchase, possession, oh, possession, use, and sale. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, purchase, use, and possession typically refers to uh, that is typically enforced on young people under the age of 21 now or under the age of 18. That's how they all started. Um, but yeah, this applies to everyone. Doesn't matter how old you are. If you have a flavored tobacco or nicotine product on your person. Um, you are subject to fines, arrest. Uh, I, I think I, I might have written it down somewhere. I didn't write it on the engagement here. Um, I, I think the the penalty can be like up to a year in jail. Wow. Um, and this is for any flavored nicotine product. We're not talking about exclusively vapor products here. Right. This is any flavored nicotine product. So uh, I would assume, I obviously, unless it's a pharmaceutical. Like, I don't... I don't yeah. I think that would be the only, is that the only exception or did they throw that in there too? Did they clarify that? I haven't read through this specific bill. I'm not going to live analyze the bill, but typically when they do these things, there is that exemption for something that's been approved by the U S right, drug right. administration for the purposes of smoking cessation or blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. So that that's, that's pretty boilerplate language, but yeah, any, any flavored tobacco or nicotine product uh, you are subject to a, a monetary fine and up to a year in prison, I believe. Um, so th and this is another one of those things where, uh, first of all, enforcing flavor bans beyond, uh, you know, looking at the package or checking with the FDA um, is, is kind of ridiculous to put that burden on law enforcement, uh, and even public health people. You, this, determining whether or not a product is flavored is highly subjective. And even if, you know, if your, if your, uh, if your tool for, for de determining whether or not a product is flavored is your nose, then, well, I don't know how many people have just taken a whiff of tobacco flavored e-liquid, but it can be kind of sweet. Uh, it may not be reminiscent of an unburnt cigarette. Uh, it's certainly not reminiscent of a combusted cigarette. Uh, and so that may for, you know, someone inspecting a vape shop or inspecting a person, um, they may not actually be able to determine whether or not that person is having, using a tobacco flavored e-liquid or a flavored flavored e-liquid. Uh, and, and so there, there are, I mean, even before we get to that part, there are huge issues in terms of enforcement with this. Um, and, and this is the, the other thing I point out, or I pointed out at least on Twitter is that Liz Thompson is a Democrat. Um, 
there in no uncertain terms these are this is a drug war type of policy yeah that was going to be my next point is for anybody who is still kind of refuting the idea that vapor products and nicotine is very much moving into the war on drug user space this right here is a very loud calling that it is yeah and you know there's there's a dark side that i have to think about um when when looking at laws like this and it is that on one hand uh i mean i can't i can't use the word hope but uh it's almost there is almost a hope here that something like this passes and people do get arrested for it um and this is sort of consistent with what i've been saying for years which is things are going to have to get worse until they get better. Yeah. Uh, we are going to have to uh, see the media cover uh, instances where, where people's rights have been unjustly taken away uh, and uh, where people are, are receiving uh, punishment that's way, way too harsh for the crime. Um, and the fact that something like this is being made into a crime is ridiculous yeah, on the air, air quotes on the crime. Yeah, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's one of those things where if this passes, they're going to, you know, they're going to enforce it. And the only hope at that point is those people who are affected. I don't know, can almost be like martyrs, you know, like, yeah, essentially, like we can use that to make our argument stronger, which is, it's such a shitty thing. Like it shouldn't have to come to that. That's the, the yeah. worst part that I struggle with is like, what in it's 2021 for crying out loud. Why are we seeing brand new pup laws? Like this is. Yeah. Well, it's, it has have to do we with gotten the state. anywhere in, in the no, last 20 years. We, you know? we, we, we haven't, we really have not moved that far forward when it comes to drug policy. Um, yeah. And I, well, okay that I, I'll take that back a little bit, right? The drug policy I mean, we're, alliance we're getting does places excellent drug work. Policy, especially cannabis. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, what Oregon has done. But in terms of like, I think changing people's minds yeah. with regard to what are appropriate policies, what are appropriate drug control policies, uh, and I include tobacco and alcohol and everything in that. Um, it, it, no, we, we, in some parts of the country, no, we haven't. And yeah. Uh, you know, this is true for um, it. it I, I don't know. It doesn't matter if it's a red or blue state. Uh, typically, blue states are going to be a bit more leaning on the side of no, we shouldn't be giving kids a hundred dollar fine for, you know, having tobacco uh, in their pocket. Uh, so but it, it is throughout the country. There are a lot of laws that uh, criminalize possession. One of the interesting things about all of this is that uh, Part of the agreement that the tobacco companies signed uh, in the master settlement agreement, part, part of one of the things that they agreed to was to not lobby against uh, laws that criminalize possession. Uh, it, it's, it's very weird. And I don't know which side made that uh, a requirement. Yeah. Um, because, you know, tobacco companies typically like to put the onus on the the purchaser um it's it it is i, th- I think in, it, to them they, they sort of sell it as like uh you know it's only fair if you're going to penalize retailers who uh you know even you know even though they take proper steps they train their employees they have uh you know uh well, mainly training programs in place to to make sure that their clerks are iding people and that people get id'd every time 
uh, they can still make mistakes. Humans are fallible. And uh, if they do make a mistake, it could cost them their business. I mean, that's, that's kind of how the industry looks at this. Uh, and so, I mean, I agree that, you know, penalties should be uh, commensurate to the crime and nobody should be put out of business because you screw up once. Uh, and, it, you know, really, this is, this is something where, you know, if you're a serial offender, then absolutely you should lose your license. You can't be trusted. Uh, and, and, and that's how the state is going to look at it. But one mistake shouldn't cost you your business. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of finessing that needs to go into how the penalties are applied to retailers. Um, but certainly criminalizing possession and use isn't doing anybody any favors. It's not really preventing young people from getting these products. I started smoking when I lived in Tennessee when I was a teenager. I'm fairly certain Tennessee criminalizes possession and use, uh, and they have for many years. And it didn't really deter me from walking into a convenience store and pretending that I was 18 years old. Um, I never had a fake ID, but and that's another thing. I mean, that, that in itself is a crime. Um, there's plenty of reasons why people might have a fake ID, but uh, using it to buy booze and cigarettes, um, that's, that's kind of within reason as far as I'm concerned that the state may penalize it. So um, as for an update on that, I don't have an update just yet. The, the, the meeting happened on Saturday at nine o'clock in the morning, uh, which is, I guess, noon or 11 our time. Um, and yeah, it would be noon. Uh, I'm sorry, 11. Uh, so I, I don't have an update for this yet, but uh, just all of that to say, um, we're less than 24 hours or we're over, we're 24 hours past, at least at the time of this recording, it's been 24 hours since the hearing. And ah, I, I just don't have anything time published. Machine. Look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that is the uh, HB 205 in New Mexico. We're keeping an eye on it. Everybody there can keep an eye on it too. It's a horrible bill and it deserves to go down in flames. Um, the next one is gonna be Vermont. Uh, this is Vermont H141. This is a flavor ban. Um, I think I'm pretty sure Vermont tried to pass a flavor ban last session, um, probably interrupted by COVID-19. Um, Vermont also has one of the highest taxes on vapor products in the country and has a 92% wholesale tax. Um, which is, it's the same, tobacco and nicotine is taxed across the board the same in Vermont. Um, so, I, I mean, at least they don't really discriminate in terms of their bad policy. Yeah, at least they're consistent. Um, so that is, uh, it, the, the bill is not scheduled for anything yet. It was, uh, it, it is referred to the Committee on Human Services. Um, I assume that that is the House Committee on Human Services. Um, and so we're, we're tracking it, but uh, if you live in Vermont, keep an eye out. There are not really a lot of folks, well, there's not a lot of folks living in Vermont to begin with, um, but uh, it's, it's really important that uh, if you are in Vermont, when this does come up, that we do get people engaged. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to get people engaged in Vermont because we just don't have a lot of them. Um, so uh, yeah, be on the lookout for the, the flavor ban. Um, I think, uh, this might've been the one that I was reading. Uh, maybe that was a different state. Um, 
with something about regular use. Okay, well, it's not Vermont anyway. Okay. Uh, the next state we're going to is going to be Iowa. Um, Iowa has HF 98, and this is scheduled for a meeting. This is just a meeting, not a public hearing, not a vote or anything, uh, but it's a meeting in the uh, House State Government Subcommittee, I believe. Uh, and this is happening on Monday, uh, June, or I'm sorry, February 22nd. So uh, today. 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 <laughs> <laughs> today from the time machine. Uh, so, and that is gonna be, uh, I believe if you go to the Iowa website and uh, if you just look up HF 98, uh, Iowa, uh, you should be able to find the committee. We don't have anything up on our site about this yet. Uh, I may do what we've done for Texas, which we'll get to next uh, and just put up a, you know, here's what we're watching kind of thing. Um, this is a, the, the, the meeting is very clearly just to discuss the legislation. There's no public hearing. Um, but this is a 22% wholesale tax and a 28% wholesale tax. I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure why they divided it up like that. Uh, all told 50% wholesale tax. Um, if you are a consumer and you receive products, you buy products that the tax has not been paid for, you are responsible for paying that 50% tax on the cost of the products, not the wholesale cost, your cost of the products add 50%. That's what the state will want from you. Um, so uh, that is basically it. And they did this, they didn't do this in a very upfront way, uh, which is something I really hate about. I hate about this legislation uh, is that basically they just changed the definition. And so unless you are suspicious enough to say, Oh well, it said something about taxes in the in the digest, uh, and and here's this definition change. I think I need to go investigate that law, the existing statute. So you need to go back, you need to read the existing statute, and find out what it means to change the definition of tobacco product to include alternative nicotine product, uh, and that f because of where it is in the code and and how it's written, uh, that means that it would sweep vapor products into this 50% tax on tobacco and nicotine. So um, that is something we are watching and uh, we'll update as needed. Um, now, I, I do remember why I said we had two things for um, New Mexico. Um, there is another bill in New Mexico and it's, it's, not, it's not up on the site yet. Um, and uh, there is a public hearing for this Monday, 9 a.m. Uh, this is one of those that hasn't really been brought up uh, in terms of, hey, this is on fire. We need to, to do something about this. So this might be kind of a wait and see uh, kind of situation. Uh, so again, sorry that I didn't cover this under the, the total New Mexico umbrella, but um, this is HB 167. Uh, and this is a vapor tax. Uh, folks who have been following these issues for a while might remember that New Mexico, I believe in 2019, uh, was the first state to enact a, what we call a bifurcated tax on vapor products. Um, it, it basically makes a distinction between closed cartridge products and open bottles. 
And so uh, for uh, bottled e-liquid, there is a 12.5% wholesale tax. And for, uh, actually, that might, don't quote me on where that tax is. I think that might be a retail tax. Um, it's a 12, 12.5% tax. Uh, and for cartridges, it is a 50 cent per cartridge tax. Um, this bill would jack up those taxes. Uh, so the tax on open systems, open bottled e-liquid uh, would be 83%. And the tax on cartridges would be $3.32 wow. per cartridge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I believe that an 83% wholesale tax is what uh, the current tax uh, structure uh, was presented and passed as an alternative to. I'm fairly certain if somebody dissects that sentence and wants to chart it out, I've said all kinds of things wrong. So, so we'll, <laughs> I'll try this again. Um, it, it, in 2019, we were facing potentially, I believe, a, uh, an 83% wholesale tax the bifurcated tax structure was proposed and passed as an alternative to what is essentially being proposed now. Um, so I, I, I know. Or they, do you think they're just not happy with what they ended up doing and now, now they just, they want more I, out of it? No, I think this is, uh, this is the same. This is part of the overall campaign on the part of people to uh, eliminate these products or make them very difficult to get. This has nothing to do with being unhappy with the tax other than it just isn't, it just isn't extreme enough. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would not lump the entire legislature into they. Um, so uh, this is, I, I don't even have a bill sponsor name on here, but whoever is introducing it, I'm sure is doing it at the behest of the, the usual suspects. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's outrageous. It's huge. And, and I, I think under normal circumstances, I would I might be a bit more dismissive about this and say it's probably nothing to worry about because it's such a ridiculous tax. But these are interesting times, and states are continuing to hurt uh, from from uh, the financial situation that they find themselves in. So states state budgets weren't in great shape going into the pandemic, uh, and so it, it's only gotten worse now. Uh, so this the, in, increasing attacks on these products may seem very attractive to the legislature because they are going to have much larger budget holes to fill um, this year and next year and for probably many years to come. So uh, we are keeping an eye on it. Uh, I hope that many lawmakers see this as ridiculous on its face and just reject it outright um, as they should. Uh, and then maybe they'll come back in five years and say, oh, wait, we probably should do away with this other tax because people are quitting smoking with these products. Um, but we'll just have to wait five or six years to find out. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that is my rundown with legislation. I will just uh, kind of remind folks, uh, you know, we did get a couple of people sort of wanting information about what was going on in Texas. Um, there are about a half a dozen bills in Texas. Uh, this is pretty typical. Uh, Texas is a big state. You end up finding the, the same bill introduced by lawmakers from different corners of the state. Uh, and so uh, we have one, two, three, four, five bills that we're paying attention to. Uh, there is, I believe, a licensing bill out there, but that's something for the industry really to grapple with. Um, but uh, 
yeah, so we're looking at uh, several tax proposals and a flavor ban in Texas. And right now, um, I, I haven't checked to see what has changed with any of these bills. Uh, I did make sure that they're not on any uh, list of things happening next week in terms of hearings. So as far as I can tell, there's nothing immediately happening with these, but they are posted up for information on our website uh, and something that we'll, we'll continue to, to do as, as much as we can uh, with other states where, where things have been introduced, but just aren't moving yet. Um, so if you're in Texas, check it out. There's information there for you and an easy uh, legislator lookup thing if you want to go ahead and reach out to lawmakers in advance of any hearing. Awesome. Yeah, Texas, dealing with lots of stuff right now. <clears throat> yeah, I guess I should say, um, if you have power and running water yeah, in Texas, yeah, then sure. please, um, yeah, stay warm. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's hard to see what people are going through down there. So I do seriously, though, I, I wish everybody down there in Texas, uh, you know, the best of luck, stay warm, stay safe. All right, cool. I guess that's it for legislation. Yeah. 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 You're happy with all that. I'm not happy about it. But we got <laughs> it, it was a done. trick question. I was really hoping <laughs> you were going to say, no, I'm not happy with it. <laughs> all right. So beginning of the show, we talked about um, kind of getting into some more stuff with this vape mail ban. So I, I don't have much of an inside scoop. I am really just, I'm trying to rely mostly on what is publicly available for everyone. Uh, and I know that it has taken me several years to get comfortable with talking about the PACT Act. And I know that um, there are several people, I mean, lawyers, folks who have experience lobbying in this space, um, they seem to also stumble over their explanations of, of what all is affected here uh, because it is a bit confusing. And um, it is even a bit confusing for the U.S. Postal Service, as they have noted in their proposed rule. Um, but uh, so I guess what people are probably mostly curious about is what what or how are they going to be able to ship products, if at all? Uh, so right now, uh, you can go and check out the websites. Uh, if you just Google FedEx shipping vapor, or UPS shipping vapor, you will you will land on a statement on both of their sites. Um, so for FedEx, FedEx just doesn't do tobacco. Uh, they th their tobacco policy is we prohibit the shipping of tobacco and tobacco products, even if you have proper licensing and are authorized to ship tobacco products. They're not going to do it. That includes cigarettes, cigars, loose tobacco, smokeless tobacco, hookah or shisha, vaporizers, and e-cigarettes. So I don't know how long this has been on their website. I have never thought of FedEx as a reliable shipper for vapor products or any tobacco product. Um, so I don't know how much this is actually changing. Um, I, it, I would defer to people in the industry who have experience um, with, with shipping. I've heard people talk about they have used FedEx in the past, perhaps for B2B shipments. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely clear on it, but it's just always been my assumption that FedEx just doesn't do tobacco. Um, UPS also, <clears throat> um, this is the update on their site in big, bold letters. Uh, the following update will become effective on April 5th, 
Remember that date. It's different from what people have put out there. Um, UPS is prohibiting the shipment of vaping products throughout its US network, including import and export. For the purposes of this prohibition, vaping products includes any and all non-combustible liquid or gel, regardless of the presence of nicotine, capable of being used with or for the consumption of nicotine. All related vape devices, products, and accessories are included in this prohibition. So um, that's that's UPS. That, that is a significant change. Um, we can't get our is, vape gel from UPS anymore. Yep. You can't get your liquid or your CBD or your cannabis vaporizer or maybe even your batteries. I don't know how UPS is with shipping batteries, but just don't say they're for uh, an e-cigarette. Um, yeah. Anything specific to vapor products, UPS is going to say no. Yeah. Um, and what about little blue screwdrivers, Alex? Um, those are used for eyeglasses, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So April 5th. April 5th. April um, 5th for UPS. And I'm not entirely sure. Okay. And there's another stuff in here to, uh, there's other stuff in here to ensure compliance with New York law, specifically. New York is so special. We are. Um, UPS no longer accepts for shipment any vaping product or accessories included accessories, including devices to or from the state of New York. So this has been in effect for a while. This isn't new. Um, but uh, I think they say to ship to New York approved by the United States Food and Drug Administration to a consignee. consignee? I can't pronounce that. I don't know what it is. In New York, uh, approved vaping product shippers must receive prior written approval from UPS. So it is ultimately not going to be impossible to use UPS to ship things into the state of New York, uh, but you're going to have to do it with products that have received a, pre a PMTA from uh, yeah. like completely received a PMTA. That's the New York law, um, or they are a therapeutic device. Um, and you'll have to get approval from right, UPS some kind of authorization and, and proof. Yeah. So uh, again, oddly, you know, New York uh, is because of the way that New York's flavor ban law is written, um, it, uh, I, I assume this does not include, that this exemption will not include shipping to consumers, um, but uh, it, New York oddly has a, a bit of uh, an opening here once products start getting approved. Um, so that's the update from FedEx and UPS as far as what they're accepting. Uh, again, just noting April 5th is the UPS's deadline for implementing a, a total ban on shipping vapor products. Um, so uh, I think that kind of answers some people's questions about B2B shipping. I, I guess I don't fully, that's, that's where I'm drawing kind of a blank to respond to people about B2B with USPS because I've heard there's possible exemptions for b2b but then i've heard people say there isn't so uh there are exceptions to the rule and okay so the exceptions to the shipping ban are as we discussed at the beginning uh non-contiguous states that includes alaska and hawaii uh, they are exempt from intra intra state shipments within those states not from Alaska to Hawaii or likewise within their individual yeah. states, things can be shipped. Um, 
business regulatory purposes, this is another ex exception, uh, B2B shipments between verified and authorized tobacco industry businesses for business purposes are exempt shipments, uh, are exempt. Uh, shipments between businesses and government agencies are also exempt, kind of. Um, so what this means is B2B shipping, and uh, there are some other provisions in here where uh, you have to be following the law. Uh, so this is not, you know, Joe's Vape Shack uh, that hasn't gone through registration with the, with the FDA, that hasn't submitted an application, that hasn't had their application accepted for review. USPS doesn't want to ship your stuff. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's, uh, it doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C, uh, they, they don't care. Uh, it has to follow all the rules. Um, so that's going to be a barrier for people if you're shipping liquids that are not going through the process of pre-market approval, uh, USPS is supposed to deny that shipping. They get into kind of the complexities of that uh, in, in their uh, published rule, talking about how you know the person at the counter or just generally people working at the U.S. Postal Service uh, have varying degrees of understanding what the current law is. Uh, and so someone accepting a package at USPS isn't going to immediately know that Joe's Vape Shack uh, isn't a, 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 a verified shipper or, or, or a, a licensed uh, vapor manufacturer that is following all the rules. They would have to go do additional research. So it, I think ultimately it sort of defers to uh, USPS to make that determination. If they can't figure it out, if they don't know this person, if they don't know anything about your company, they're not, probably not gonna ship it. Uh, that, that's just the way it is. Um, so it's kind of an exemption, but it's more about, you have to also be following all of these other rules. Um, the other exemption here or exception, I keep getting those words, I keep using them interchangeably, they sort of are, but. Um, it is an exception to the rule. It all sounds uh, good to me, man. It all, all right. sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, the other exception, another exception is peer-to-peer -peer shipping. So if I want to ship you, Logan, some, some vape products in the mail, uh, I should be able to do that. Uh, there is a limit. I can, I can ship 10 of those within a 30-day period. Um, so that's still acceptable. Um, the other two exceptions As long here, as I don't pay you for them. You can give me money if you pay me in Bitcoin. Oh, okay. That works. <laughs> I'm going to have to get me some bits and some coins first before I can do this. But I mean, I'm not going to go into business, you know, selling, uh, you know, underground vape products here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's still like if I were to be doing that, um, I could only do it 10 times a month, which that would be kind of suspicious anyway. Um, but whatever, you get 10 shipments within a 30-day period and you can ship it to your friends. So if you're somebody in the, the gray market right now, shipping to your buddies, your buddies should be buying in bulk. So you only have to do this 10 times. Well, there's a there's a limit. Uh, they they say it has to be a lightweight ship shipment. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, there goes my bulk idea. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, so you're you're definitely not shipping pallets of one atomizer to your friends. Um, it's 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 like a you know it's like a care package size thing. I, yeah. I actually black I, rate box kind of thing. 
I don't know if like under 50 pounds qualifies as lightweight. Uh, I don't know what the weight limit is. It just says lightweight. Um, so if you're interested in commenting on this, maybe ask them to clarify what lightweight is. Maybe it's on their site. I don't know. Um, we'll get to that later. Um, so the last two exceptions here are kind of interesting. And uh, I will uh, put the disclaimer in front of the discussion following here uh, that uh, I'm just opining. I'm just imagining the problems that this might cause. Um, but uh, getting right to it, uh, the last two exceptions are for consumer testing and for public health reasons. Uh, consumer testing, it may not be what you think it is, but it's basically uh, a company wanting to test their products with consumers. Uh, and so uh, the, uh, it's not free samples, it's, it's, it's certainly product or market research and companies would be able to ship them to verified adult consumers. Um, but, but this only applies to cigarettes. This is, and this is true for public health reasons as well. So cigarettes are the only tobacco product that are qualified for this exception. Uh, and the reason that this is happening is first of all, the fact that cigarettes qualify for this and smokeless tobacco doesn't is outrageous. Um, I did not know that. Um, but, uh, the, the reason that this is happening is because uh, the, the USPS in a very public way is not able to make heads or tails of the, the direction from Congress. Um, under the current law or under the current regulations, um, uh, USPS is allowed for, for these, per, for consumer testing purposes, they will ship up to 12 packs of cigarettes. Uh, there is, as the USPS astutely notes, uh, there is no equivalency offered by Congress for uh, what kind of limit should be placed on shipping vapor products. And so USPS has decided that they're just not going to do it. They're not going to try to come up with their own equivalency. Congress certainly didn't give it to them, so they're just not going to deal with it. Uh, so the consumer testing bit is out for vapor products. Um, public health uh, is, I, there's no real justification for this other than uh, I think the, the pack equivalency thing kind of gets in the way and um, it, it just sort of falls under this, this, the same issue. I, I, I know I'm kind of bungling this a little bit. I don't have a good explanation for why you wouldn't be able to ship vapor products from say a state agency to the FDA. Uh, the example that immediately brought to my mind is when we had all of the lung injury cases, uh, FDA was in, very interested in, in getting samples of products yeah. that, that parents were turning in uh, or that people brought in with them. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes one of the big problems during the lung injury outbreak was uh, the, the products, you know, when, when, when the hospitals where the scientists got the products, there was such a small sample size that they weren't able to really uh, find out what was in it. Uh, and so it, it is one of those cases where you would actually want to ship the cartridge to a lab, um, but under this rule, you're gonna have to find another carrier to do that. I'm not saying it's impossible to get that done, um, but from USPS's perspective, as far as the law is written, they're not going to do it. 
um, which to me feels just absolutely insane. And uh, again, you know, our warning time and time again is going to be as long as we have this ridiculous prohibition on flavored products, uh, flavored nicotine products, and on uh, cannabis products or any other drug, any drug, as long as we have drug prohibition in this country, people are going to find ways to get around the law. Uh, unscrupulous manufacturers are going to find ways to cut their products so that they can increase their profits. Uh, and they're going to do it with things that have not been studied uh, and are not safe. And so it just, it does not make any sense to make the process of investigating the source of something like that any more difficult by putting barriers between, in this case, between public health agencies and uh, the Food and Drug Administration or the CDC. Yeah. Under this rule, they wouldn't be able to ship samples back to uh, a, a lab in, in you know, Maryland or uh, Georgia. Um, actually, I don't know where the CDC labs are. I just know that their headquarters are. In I mean, Atlanta. that whole debacle in 2019 felt like it took forever to begin with, you know, and we're still dealing with, with the aftermath of it. Mm -hmm. But if that felt like it took forever to get to the bottom of, which it didn't, there was a lot of excellent reporting along the way. Um, But like you said, this just makes it even, even harder, makes that process even longer, potentially puts more people at risk in the meantime. Um, You know, I I would hope that, um, you know, the, our courageous public health people have things like helicopters and private jets and stuff that they could just get samples as quickly as possible back to a lab that needs it. Um, but you know, Hey, if the USPS can do it overnight for 20 bucks, um, why do taxpayers have to pay for the jet fuel? Um, you know, whatever, however you want to come at this argument, this, this rule is absurd and, and should be thrown out. Um, so I bring all of these points up, by the way, I, I, I am in the process of, of, I am actually reading off of kind of an outline of the engagement that we're working to put up for this. Um, because we are in the midst of a comment period. Uh, And so um, this, and this is a little bit different than what we've done with FDA in the past. Um, So as it stands right now, the comment period is open till I believe March 22nd Uh, and it's 30 days. And ordinarily what happens with notice and comment is you have uh, the 30 day, 30 to 60 or 120 day, however long to, uh, for the public to comment. And then the agency will take all of those comments, review them and provide some sort of response. Uh, it, there's no real set in stone time frame for that typically. Uh, so even, uh, I, be- I believe, which, you know, I'm not a lawyer, and I should have put the disclaimer at the beginning of this whole discussion, none of this is business advice. If you're taking business advice for me, um, I, I thank you for the vote of confidence, but just don't. <laughs> Definitely seek <laughs> out another it. source. Um, I have never owned a vapor business. Uh, I, you know, I rub elbows with people in the industry, but I don't know the intimate details of their business model. So um, this is all purely information and none of it is business advice. So that having been said, and I've completely lost my track here, um, the comment period, that's where we are. Uh, So the comment period is open until March 22nd. And I kind of want to prepare folks for what is going to happen here 
uh, or what may happen. Uh, we are not going to get the typical, uh, you know, end of comment period, wait for agencies, agency to respond, final rule kind of thing. I don't, I don't believe that's going to happen here. What may happen, what is uh, certainly within the USPS's authority to make happen or how they're interpreting this whole rulemaking process for this particular issue, uh, on March 22nd, the comments close. On March 23rd, USPS could publish the final rule and it would immediately go into effect. That's So the 23rd is a Tuesday, not a Saturday or Sunday. We don't have a couple days to brace for this. Basically what USPS has said, and I don't have the, I don't have their comment up, so I'm not gonna read it, but uh, kind of in, I believe in, in the beginning of their comment, they lay out how, uh, you know, Congress, this, this is going to happen. No, there is nothing is going to change as a result of this comment period, but we're doing it anyway, because there are some things that obviously USPS has questions about this whole business with exceptions and uh, you know, the, the, the pack equivalency thing, I think is probably one of the most interesting things about their rule is, is, and on top of that, even before they got to that, they noted uh, in, in a very common sense way, how vapor products are not cigarettes. There is just no, it, 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 intuitively, they are completely different products. And so, um, you know, when you're talking to people who deal in weights and measures and the size of boxes and uh, what types of materials you can send through the mail, uh, I, I defer to folks at USPS to figure this out immediately that vapor products are not cigarettes. Uh, and I, I may be piling on, you know, my own beliefs and emotion to that. Um, it, it, it may not have a huge, you know, effect through people in Congress, but um, I, I, I sort of feel like this is the USPS speaking back to Congress and saying, hey, uh, in, in a very professional way, the USPS has told Congress that they have no idea about the products that they're regulating. Um, and so that's, that's a theme yeah. for me, for sure. Um, so yeah, it, it's the way that they have set this up is their interpretation of the statute. Uh, and there are some sort of operative words here. Um, I don't know, did I put the effective date? I did. Um, so this is, this is, this is the, the quote from their rule. Well, so here, here are the different effective dates that people may be relying on. Uh, so the first one is the effective effective 90 days after passage, which puts it at March 27th, I believe. I might be off a day or two, but March 27th. Uh, this is the, the parts of the law that amended the Jenkins Act uh, to include vapor products in regulations governing shipments of cigarettes and other tobacco products. The Jenkins Act requires tobacco and soon vapor uh, retailers to, or manufacturers as well, just distributors uh, to uh, report interstate sales of cigarettes to the buyer's state tobacco tax administrator. Um, so that's something I, I have gotten at least one phone call from someone saying, um, you know, can you tell me all of the states that have taxes so that I'm signed up with their tax administrator? Uh, this is not, I don't think limited to uh, states that have taxes on vapor products. Uh, this is for the ATF. The ATF enforces this, and they're going to work with the state's tobacco tax administrator and, uh, I believe, state's attorney generals, uh, attorneys general. Uh, so um, uh, I, I would say 
look into the possibility. I'm trying to frame this and say this in a way that's not business advice, but uh, it may be a better idea to just contemplate what you have to do to be registered with the tax administrator in every state, every state you plan to ship to. Um, that is for the ATF. Uh, the other effective date here is uh, no later than 120 days after passage, which is April 26th. Um, that is the directing USPS to promulgate a rule. Uh, and they, they, have, they are satisfying, they have satisfied that uh, by publishing their proposed rule uh, and then finalizing it in a month. Um, that, will, that, that will happen likely before April 26th. And we already know that USPS has an April 5th deadline for what they're going to stop shipping. So um, those are the effective dates from the law. The effective date that USPS is landing on is the phrase effective upon publication of final rule. And the quote here is section 30, I'm sorry, 603B provides that the prohibition will apply to mailings of ends on and after the publication date of the final rule. In specifying this immediate effective date, Congress expressly abrogated the standard 30-day notice period for a final rule under the Administrative Procedure Act, which would otherwise apply to rulemaking makings concerning the mailability statute here. All of that is to say, um, the USPS is reading this as effective immediately, hang the 30-day the rule about uh, letting people know when the final rule is coming out. Uh, it's just once you get the final rule done, as soon as it's published, it takes effect. Uh, and that could happen as early as March 23rd. Uh, especially if you're looking at this from the perspective of it's not going to change a whole lot, uh, and USPS seems to think that it's not going to change a whole lot, um, I, they could just basically copy and paste this onto the Federal Register. I don't know what the technical details of that, but, um, and, and it becomes final on the, the very next day. So to me, I'm, I'm looking at that as worst case scenario. I think people should probably mentally prepare for that. Um, and uh, I know that there's a lot of businesses scrambling to find other means of making sure that they continue to serve their customers. Um, so um, that's my initial analysis on the effective dates and when people should expect things to start changing. We got March 23rd, basically is that would be the soonest, right, for, for USPS and April 5th. For UPS. Correct. And then just in, infinity always for FedEx. Yeah. Because <laughs> FedEx just, they just don't deal with it. Yeah. What about DHL? So, uh, well, actually, I just, so I just Googled DHL vaping. And the first thing that popped up uh, was uh, Jim McDonald's article in vaping, C vaping 360, USPS will end home delivery of vaping products. I assume it pops up because he talked about DHL. Um, Jim is on our board of directors and I so rarely read his, his articles. <laughs> I, I, I was so Sorry. reliant on Jim's articles for so long. And now I'm like, guys, yeah. I got Alex. I got to go back to Jim now. <laughs> yeah. Go back to Jim. I am not I'm a good substitute for everybody now. else. I have so many things going on in my head. I'm likely to miss some things. I, it, I'm, I'm trying to be as laser focused as possible on state legislation right now. 
Um, so Jim is a, a, a good writer and, and covers this well. So I highly recommend, this isn't a plug for Vaping360 or anything, it's a plug for Jim McDonald. Um, so certainly certainly follow his, his work, uh, especially on this issue. Um, he's come to me with questions, I can come to him with questions. Uh, we both just, you know, if, if nobody knows, ask Jim. Um, that's, so. that's my go-to. <clears throat> uh, I'm just scanning the article here, seeing if he uh, mentions anything about. I think he um, briefly. I believe I, I've read the article that you're looking at right now. There's like a small blurb about DHL yeah, in so. there somewhere. Um, I don't know. I don't have that article uh, handy specifically, but I know looking at DHL's um, actual site uh, domestically, they won't uh, ship. Yeah. at least within the states from state to state or, or interstate um any tobacco product of any kind but people's questions for me have been well will i still be able to you know use dhl will i still be able to have you know have something shipped over from from china from overseas from something like that it's really weird uh, they they so they have here for domestic product or for tobacco pro excuse me for tobacco products on the dhl site uh, domestic USA uh, restricted um, adult signature required. Uh, it, and all they have is shipments of cigarettes to individual consumers is prohibited. So I don't know if this is just out of date. I, you might expect for um, uh, DHL to align their policy with USPS. Uh, and so uh, they may bump up against this whole uh, definition or equivalency of a cigarette thing and just say, yep, we're not going to ship vapor products either. Um, it looks like right now it requires adult signature, um, but don't take business advice from me. Call DHL and find out what they have to say about it. Uh, I'm sure if somebody has called DHL, you can leave a comment under the, you know, how you do it in SoundCloud um, or wherever you see this posted. Um, happy to get some some updated knowledge on what DHL has to say about it. And, you know, it, it's also, there are people looking at small independent shipping companies to, to pick up some of the slack here. I don't know how well that's going to work out either. Um, you know, the long and short of it is this is, this is a huge mess for trying to, yeah. you know, ship to people. Yeah. So I hope that answered some people's questions. I know that you know, again, this is confusing for even people who are sort of seasoned in this space. Um, it, 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 I know that there are folks out there who probably just intuitively get this stuff um, and, and they are the people to talk to. Uh, and um, I don't know who they are, but I'm sure they exist. Uh, tobacco companies employ lots of talented people who figure out uh, what the regulations and laws are. Uh, so yeah, I, it, it's just, this is a huge mess and it's a huge blow to the industry and consumers. Yeah. And we will have uh, an engagement up for this this week. Um, if it's not up today, Monday, um, then uh, look for it soon. I, I'm, I'm really just trying to put the finishing touches on here and, and trying to make this accessible to people and make sure that their, their messages are going to the appropriate folks. I think, again, I... I I, sorry for fixating on this, but I, I honestly think that one of the biggest things in this is, number one, uh, the, the USPS description of how different vaping is from smoking, uh, just from a product standpoint. Uh, and then, of course, this uh, discussion about how there is no pack equivalency. Um, 
part of what we're putting up here is is making sure that people are getting in touch with their lawmakers. And uh, folks may not know this, but something that was part of Frank Pallone's bill last year, uh, this is the 2339, directs FDA to prohibit flavors uh, and some other stuff. And it includes a federal tax on vapor products. It's, it's written, it, it aspires to be an equivalency tax. Uh, so ideally, uh, according to the lawmaker who wrote this, uh, it would tax vapor products at the same rate as cigarettes. Well, that's not how it's written. I forget the details on it, but it has something to do with nicotine yield and nicotine content. Uh, and uh, it's there, I, I guess the way, if you were going to base a tax on nicotine equivalency, you would really have to do it on uh, nicotine yield. Uh, yeah, you'd have to do it on, on what you're getting out of it right and which is you're taking in from the product right which is notoriously i think impossible to do because there are so many different variables that go into creating nicotine yield how you puff on a cigarette what the weather is what type of cigarette it is um there, there's really no way to to have a standardization of that but it it's i, I i'm saying that you should be using nicotine yield because that's kind of the that's the equivalency. Uh, all of this, you know, really just nonsense talk from the antis about how one jewel pod equals a pack of cigarettes uh, is just that, it's nonsense. They're just looking at the nicotine content. Uh, in in reality, a pack of cigarettes- They don't cigarettes, even get that part right. That's the yeah, most it, frustrating they're, they're, part about that whole argument. Well, they're, again, this is another one of those places where they're confused, the nicotine content of a pack of cigarettes is actually like 240 milligrams or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But the nicotine yield is about 20 milligrams for the whole right. pack. Uh, so between one and one and a half milligrams of nicotine, that's what you're getting when you smoke an entire cigarette. Maybe, I, I guess, depending on the weather, right? So uh, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's not, a, it's not an accurate equivalency. And people who vape know that products actually have a high nicotine content because of the issues with nicotine yield. Um, and science actually shows that even, even like uh, experienced open system users uh, come close to replicating the nicotine delivered by a cigarette, but it's still not what a cigarette delivers. Um, you have to vape, I think, like I did, uh, dripping 30 to 40 to 50 milligrams in a, you know, a rebuildable dripping atomizer or a tank atomizer, taking big rips off of that in order to get You're that. You're tough, Alex, that's tough. No, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, it, it is, it is, it, it's my, my relationship with nicotine has changed dramatically in the past few years. I am almost exclusively using snus now. Um, I need the slow nicotine. I don't, I, I just can't handle that quick hit anymore. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I had my fun. It's over and I'm, I've moved on. Um, I don't know. You said like dripping 40 milligram. None of that sounds fun. <laughs> I don't know where you got fun out of that. None of that sounds fun to me. I always look at the recommended dosage on medicine. I mean, unless it's like, you know, uh, the antibiotics or, you know, pain or opioid pain medication or something like that. Um, I, I always look at the directed, uh, the, 
uh, the, the recommended dosage. And I think I'm just going to add, two. I'm going to add one. I need to, I need <laughs> to add one. That's just how I roll. Um, which is not responsible. Don't take health advice. Don't take medical advice from me either. Uh, Other than uh, everybody should totally try to quit smoking and you can do it by switching to vaping or snooze um, or smokeless tobacco. That is actually really excellent medical advice. I'll give you that. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't come up though. with that on my own. So <laughs> I, I, there are sources for that. Um, and, and I recommend people check them out. So anyway, um, yeah, so the, the important thing here is this uh, discussion about pack equivalency, discussion about comparing cigarettes to, to vapor products that the, the USPS has, has done in their comment. Uh, and I think that those are important things to highlight for Congress because they will be taking this issue up again in this session, likely. Um, we expect, I haven't heard anything about it yet, but it is expected that since we do have that sort of Democrat trifecta at the federal level, um, that Frank Pallone's bill will have a much easier time moving through the legislative process. Uh, and if it does contain this tax provision, uh, we need to have, we need to get loud about this, this fake equivalency uh, that has been, you know, cooked up on somebody's desk somewhere uh, and has no basis in reality. Uh, and, and I mean, even if it was an accurate uh, comparison of, of nicotine content in a, in a cigarette versus nicotine content in a, a bottle of e-liquid, um, there's no reason why anybody should be regulating vapor products the same as combustible tobacco products. So yeah. um, even USPS knows they're not the same. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the post office figured this out. Uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist and nope. um, Congress needs to take a and Congress needs to take a, a step back from this and really try to understand the products that they're regulating and all of the people that they're hurting. Um, so that will be a, a feature of, of what we're putting together here. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I hope this cleared some stuff up about what the shipping restrictions are going to be and how soon they're going to come into effect. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, certainly drop a comment on SoundCloud or wherever you see this podcast posted. Um, you can always drop us a line, uh, board at kasa.org. It goes to several of us. Um, I am a Clark at kasa.org. Um, if you do write, uh, just know I'm not able to give you business advice. I, I, the, I, I can tell you what I think about this and all the stuff that I've been reading and, and, and how I'm coming to this conclusion. Um, but, uh, I may not function for anything more than a shoulder to cry on. Um, so Sorry about that, but uh, happy to help where we can. <laughs> well, damn it. Now I'm just bummed. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, we don't have much time left, but um, in this week's vlog, in this week's blog, excuse me, um, there is a link to a video uh, that we wanted to highlight. This is a tobacco harm reduction, uh, vaping and tobacco harm reduction with Clive Bates um, and drug science. Uh, which is the leading independent scientific body on drugs in the UK. Uh, drug science uh, is fantastic. They have a wonderful podcast. They have a great show. And that's, it is literally what it is. It is drug science. Um, I have not had the opportunity to watch this video yet. Alex told me prior to the show that it's fantastic. Um, so I'm going to be watching it tonight. Um, from the time machine, I'm going to watch it Sunday night. I will have already watched this video by yeah. the time you're hearing me talk about it. You, you watched it and you don't even know. 
Yeah. So it was great. Just so everybody knows uh, <laughs> on Monday, this video was excellent. I loved it. Um, but I'm going to be watching that tonight. Um, that is, there's a link right to it in the blog. Um, I just wanted to make people aware uh, and to check it out. Uh, Alex, did you have anything? Cause you said that you saw it. Is there anything here that you, you wanted to kind of just quickly like touch base on or, or mention about it? Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, one of the things that, that we're, that this is a good segue into the next topic. Um, but, uh, I, first of all, anybody who's new to this, uh, issue, uh, Clive Bates has been active in the tobacco harm reduction space for a long time. He comes at this from, uh, as someone who used to work for action, Ash UK action on smoking and health. Uh, I believe is is that's the correct one. There's a lot of yeah. Ash or organizations around the world, but um, Ash UK uh, and uh, and and other credentials. Uh, Clive Bates is a very knowledgeable person, well versed in the, in the area of public health and and specifically uh, tobacco. Uh, and uh, you know, one of the 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 note about this, of course, is that in this discussion, it's only 30 minutes long. Uh, it's basically a presentation at a conference over a, a Zoom call, uh, complete with slides and, and Clive's expert commentary. But one of the things that he has to include in this talk is the lung injury stuff that happened in the United States. Uh, and people around the world are having to remake this point that it was pretty much exclusive to the United States. Uh, because what happened here is being exported to other places uh, and used as a talking point in support of more restrictive vaping laws. Uh, and so it's, this is sort of just another example of how America is making it more difficult for other people around the world. Uh, and in particular, the UK, which has been really ahead of everybody else in terms of uh, adopting and promoting these products to people who smoke. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's sort of should tee us up for the next thing. But all of that to say, definitely check out this video. Clive Bates is a a very uh, credible and passionate source about this. Um, and I recommend it to everybody. Yeah, we, uh, we're really good here in America at exporting misinformation and terrible drug policy. I think those are probably two of our biggest exports out of the US. Yeah. So I, I guess, I mean, I can move into the next thing. I, you know, speaking of myths about Vaping was that the was that the header? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna start doing a little bit of myth busting every week when we can here. So we're gonna try to tie this one into a, uh, I don't know, a real interesting claim. Um, but Hawaii Health Department administrator had falsely claimed that vapor products contained alcohol and vegetable oils. Uh, the article did not say if the teens were vaping THC or nicotine, which is pretty common. They just kind of disingenuously just say vaping you know um but uh campaign for tobacco free kids was really quick to quote it and put it out there uh quoted saying these are not benign products kids are inhaling the flavorants the chemicals the nicotine the alcohol and the vegetable oils that's what they're putting into their lungs yeah that's a it's kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The flavorants, the chemicals. Okay, already. <laughs> well, <laughs> like right out of the gate, you know. So, um, so I, I mean, this is one of those examples where you know technical language is being used to scare people. Um, yeah. This is how people spread you know misinformation about this is this is how chemophobia gets gets stoked. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Make sure you stay away from that dihydrogen monoxide. Yeah, Alex. it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, it, it is, a, again, it's a very disingenuous conversation. Yeah, um, I don't know, I don't know if many people remember like what happened with Subway <clears throat> and their, and their flatbread recipe several years ago. Um, is this the sugar? No, it's the, the food babe. Do you remember the food babe? No, I don't remember this. Uh, she is or was a Twitter personality. Um, I guess sort of pretending to be a nutritionist or something like that. And, uh, you know, her, her tagline and many people's tagline is, uh, and you'll see tons of natural products promoted this way, uh, is that if you can't pronounce the ingredients on the label, then you probably shouldn't be using it. Oh dear. Um, that's a really horrible way to choose yeah. what products you're going to use. And I guarantee you, if you use that, uh, the next time you go to your doctor's office or the hospital, you're going to end up sicker on the other side. So, um, yeah. just because I mean, things in strawberries that I can't pronounce. Yeah. Uh, you know, multisyllabic words, don't be afraid of them. It's, it's yeah. there. You can figure it out. Uh, hopefully you have internet access and you can look up words just like I do. There's lots of stuff. I don't know tons yeah. of stuff. I don't know. There are all the things that I don't know. And so I have to consult with the internet to find out what words mean. Um, so that's, that's really stupid. And that's you know, chemophobia contributes to things like anti-vax. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's a way to scare people and, um, campaign for tobacco free kids absolutely has no shame about this. Um, just to clear up maybe some things, I, I think everything about this statement is true, except for the vegetable oils, as I understand it, I don't know what the standard is in the industry, but there are alcohol based flavorings. Um, that and too, I mean, um, you know, PG and VG are both technically alcohols. So, yeah, I, it, they're both it's, glycerin and glycols are, are sugar alcohols, from my understanding. That's my base, my base understanding here, everyone. Uh, but they are in technicality alcohols. But to, the way that CTFK is portraying it is like, you know, there's vodka or something right. in your in your atomizer. Um, I'm surprised. To, I, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't include formaldehyde in this because the, the, these people right. have have pretty regularly talked about formaldehyde as if it is an ingredient in e-liquid. Um, uh, so yeah, just like what you're saying, it's, it's, uh, it is part of the chemical constituents that make up an e-liquid, but nobody's dumping a bottle of vodka into a, a right. You know, it's not that kind of alcohol. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the, that's the point. Like there are, there are, again, there are sugar alcohols in so much of what we consume on a day-to-day -day basis in our foods and our drinks and our, you know, again, PG and VG alone are in all sorts of foods and products that we consume regularly already. And, you know, and, and this is, and, and what's one of those really important characteristics of alcohol that, that might lead one to believe that this is a benign substance to expose your body to it's water soluble. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, so your body can process it. It's not, you know. Okay. Well, yeah. We were on a whole different train of thought here. I, I apologize. I just, yeah, it's okay. It felt clever to me. And so I did it. It was clever. <laughs> it was so clever that I didn't even pick up on it, but yeah, absolutely. They're water soluble. Right. Um, yeah. And here's a, the side note here with the vegetable oil thing. Um, oils in and of themselves are fat soluble. They're not water soluble. They do not mix. And this is something I've, I've told people um, who are concerned with, black market products, gray market, illicit market products. If you ever get a bottle of e-liquid from some dude out of the trunk of his car and you see in your bottle that your liquid has separated mm -hmm. in any way, don't vape it. Don't use it. 
That's oil. Um, this is uh, a mistake that very few people, but I'm sure people have made in regards to food flavorings. A lot of food flavorings in and of themselves are oil-based. They're not um, PGVG-based, like the, the flavorings, the aromatics that we use uh, in vapor products. If you ever buy a bottle and you can see very clearly, or if you just went downstairs and you took some vegetable oil and water in a cup like you did in fourth grade chemistry or whatever, and you notice they separate, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. You can't mix the two. Oil and water don't mix. Um, I'm trying to come up with a rhyme. If it's separate, don't vape. No, I don't think that rhymes. Don't, <laughs> don't vaporate. Don't vaporate the separate. Don't evaporate. I, don't know, I can't put that on a pillow. <laughs> but that quote <clears throat> uh, comes from Lola Irvin, the administrator for the Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion Division of the State Health Department. Um, I mean... Nicotine isn't benign. Um, so I guess she's right there. They're not benign products. Um, but I mean, the grand scheme of things. Um, flavorants, sure, you're inhaling flavorants. You are, in fact, inhaling chemicals. You would be inhaling nicotine if you chose to use a nicotine-based e-liquid. You would, in fact, be inhaling alcohols. But again, there's a massive difference between sugar alcohols that are in all sorts of products that we take in to our bodies on a regular basis and whiskey. Uh, there's, yeah. a, there's a really big difference there. You're not vaping, you know, that kind of alcohol, but the vegetable oils is where I really am like, really? And I think this is one of those, like I've heard this so many times because we use vegetable glycerin mm. in e-liquid VG and people just hear vegetable oil. And vapors, tend to refer to some vapors, depending on, I think it, it may be a regional thing, I don't know, or whenever you caught on to the products, um, it, it, vapors refer to, to the liquid as as oil. Yeah, it's one that I haven't heard a lot of, um, but I do I do still hear some people. It, it pops up, uh, I mean, especially- juice more than anything. Yeah, juice is one of them, I, I, I that, but that doesn't get to me as much as the oil does. Uh, yeah, I sure. know, I know what you're talking about. It looks thicker than water and, you know, people associate uh, it with maybe the oil diffusers or whatever. Um, you know, yeah, the scented products that you use in your home, that, that is oil. Um, but it's, it, it just, it's an appearance thing. And this is, it's another one of those things where like words really matter. Like, you know, we've, we've encouraged people to not say juice. It, it sounds kind of slang for e-liquid. Um, it, it is sort of slang. For you know, that was actually something that I, I picked up really early on when I started vaping. I referred to it all as, as juice as well. Um, but I only did that for maybe the first six months. And I don't remember what video or who it was or wherever it was somebody had done a, a video on YouTube and they were like, stop calling it juice. It's mm. not juice. And the only thing it does when we call it juice is it gives this like ammunition to antis, you know, that, that we're, we're talking about this product as, as some form of liquid drink that, you know, juice, like kids drink juice boxes and it's juice and, and like go on and on about it. Uh, and it was one of those points like really, early on, I was like, Oh yeah. Language matters. That makes sense. Let's, I'm just going to call this liquid for now. I'm just going to call it e-liquid. Yeah. You know, even, even from a marketing perspective, I think, um, you know, that's where uh, opponents, I think would probably have the biggest problem. If you put vape juice on your packaging, 
uh, yeah. they're going to, they're going to say to a little kid, this looks like a beverage. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, that's, there's, there's several reasons not to do it. I'm not just being nitpicky and trying to like tell people how to act. That's not my job. I didn't join tobacco control. Um, right. so, uh, yeah, it, 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 yeah, the vape oil thing has, has always gotten me. Uh, and I do know, you know, we were talking about like, I think there have been, uh, suspected incidents where people vaped something uh, that was either homemade or, you know, just otherwise poorly manufactured and it landed them in the hospital. Um, it, it's, and it's still, I think for some of these incidents, um, it's not really clear what they were using. Um, but uh, yeah, nobody really, nobody should be vaping oil, nicotine, anything. You know, this really sounds like I, I know I'm I'm getting away from the myth. Of course, the myth is that there's oil in nicotine vapor products. There's no there's no vegetable we, oil. I think we suffici sufficiently whiskey. busted that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no reason to put oil in these products. It doesn't make them perform better, and it doesn't doesn't make people like them anymore. And it it could be harmful. Um, yeah. So the the industry doesn't do it. Uh, but the other thing about this is, you know, this may be another case of a public health official being handed talking points before they speak and sort of bungling the talking points. We saw this in response to uh, the Evali thing, which, oh, man, I've broken my my goal of yeah, not saying that. Yeah, you said you weren't going to say it. <laughs> we saw this during the lung injury stuff. Uh, and, you want um, me to edit that out? So <laughs> No, leave it in. People need to know I'm fallible. <laughs> Alex um, Clark does make mistakes. I, I make mistakes all the time. Uh, but I, I think it was the, um, I want to say it was Rhode Island. I think it was the, uh, the woman who was in charge of the State Department of Health. Uh, I could be wrong about the particular agency, but she spoke after Gina Raimondo um, when Rhode Island banned flavors in response to the lung injuries. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was just one of those incidents, inc instances where the public health official clearly had not thought this through and they were relying on essentially statements that they're allowed to make. And uh, she was the person who, it was one of the first people I saw actually say this in a press conference was, you know, don't buy these vapor products. You can try nicotine gum. And it was just, it, you know, under, under other circumstances, she would have been called out for being tone deaf. But uh, because this is a tobacco issue, uh, you know, the arguments that we've been making, people are just oh, being dismissive of them. And our argument is that many of us try, had went through multiple attempts at quitting smoking and failed until we found vaping. And so yeah. for this person who is, you know, a credentialed public health official to come out and say, don't buy these vapor products that actually helped you quit smoking, go back to the products that have a dismal failure rate. Um, yeah. So, and, and we saw this also with, um, uh, she's with Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, yeah. When she came out, she had a gaffe. She called it medical particles. Medical particles, yeah. Alex. <laughs> and, and so, you know, again, this uh, was, I, I strongly believe this was an inc incident where um, she was handed talking points right before speaking yeah. to the media. She does not understand the products and was not able to, uh, you know, not mess that up. Um, yeah. So that's, it's a theme here. Uh, lawmakers yeah. across the country and in Congress do not know what they're regulating. No, absolutely not. And I mean, it's one of those things where like, I, 
I struggle with this idea of like, do I expect all of our lawmakers to be product knowledge experts in safer nicotine products? No, not necessarily, but I do expect them to listen to those experts in, in safer nicotine products. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, I don't expect a, a, your average, your average, uh, you know, representative out of Kansas to get up there and talk about, you know, the physiological effects of nicotine on the body. Like, I don't expect that from them, but I do expect them to listen to the people who are going to tell them that stuff, you know, um, yeah. and what these products are and what they do and how they operate, how they work. Um, and, and that there's no vegetable oil in it, you know? Yeah. But unfortunately nobody, this is where we're at. <laughs> no, nobody's putting cooking oil in their vape sauce. That's just not happening. Yeah. <laughs> their vape sauce. <laughs> yeah. No, no vegetable oil in your, in your e-juice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap this one up this week. What do you think? Uh, just one more, one more oh, just point. One more. Make. All right. Just, just one, one more. more. And I'm, and, and then we'll close. Um, yeah, he's just going to squeak it right in. I think the other really important thing to point out is um, the sort of results of the smoking ban in South Africa. Um, yeah. This was, yeah. this was implemented. This is another article or tweet that's on our uh, blog post, but um, for those who don't know, South Africa banned sales of cigarettes. Um, I, I don't know if they also banned possession and use, um, but uh, at the at, at sort of the beginning of the pandemic, uh, and uh, it only lasted for four, four uh, or five months or something. Uh, it was 147 days, um, and 143 days. Uh, I didn't write down the dates, but it started in as of March 25th to August 17th last year. And um, the result of this was 85% of people continued smoking. Uh, 8% said that they had quit and 7.5% refused to answer the question. So uh, let's see, let's do the math here. I like gut navigating illicit market instinct for the seven and a half percent of people yeah. is probably like, yeah, they were, they were probably still smoking. Yeah. So you 92% know? of people. That's, that's just my gut instinct because yeah. I don't want to speak for that or make that like some wild claim that that's what it is. But it's like, uh, it's like, you know, that last 11% for a while during the lung injuries that were like inconclusive or said that they never used THC products or whatever. Most of those were people in states where it was illegal. So they, they just lied. <laughs> so yeah. that's what this 7.5% to me is like, oh, sure. They were just, yeah. they just lied. They're just protecting themselves. So yeah. I, well, I mean, they didn't lie. They just didn't want to answer yeah. the question. They withheld information out of fear yeah. of persecution. So yeah, um, totally a legitimate response to it. Absolutely. A, a bullshit question. Um, but yeah, this is, and this is no small study. This is, uh, I don't know, you know, proportionate to size of the population of South Africa, but um, 536,000 respondents um, yeah. that's, that's, that's a pretty good measure of how effective or ineffective the smoking ban was, um, the, the, the net effect here was, <clears throat> I believe, um, I, I tried to convert all this to dollars, uh, the Rand is the currency there. Um, so it's like $307 million between 307 to $409 million in lost revenue. Um, and they lost, uh, an estimated $2.3 million a day. 
from this. So uh, no one, no one quit smoking and you lost a bunch of revenue that probably could have gone to fund um, COVID-19 response. Uh, yeah. And, and so, and, and, you know, look, this is, we're the, the same argument applies for vapor products in states where they're taxed. Um, you're, you're throwing away all of this revenue for an ideological crusade that is actually ultimately harming your constituents. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, check out that, you know, and, and there's other research out there about menthol bans. Uh, we're not including it here, um, but there was, a, I think, a menthol ban. I can't remember the country, but uh, they actually saw that the um, number of people using menthol cigarettes went up, I believe, or no, it was the number of people who smoked went up during the menthol ban. Um, so, yeah, another worthless policy there. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to throw that in and make sure people were aware of it. Definitely read this article. Um, see what's going on in other parts of the world and how those, how results from those horrible policies can be used to um, support our arguments here. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that, I, th I think we're done. All right. Well, you guys know where to find CASA. You can head over to CASAA.org. As always, I will have all of the links to all of this information available in the SoundCloud description. I'm going to do my best this week to also put some little comments along the SoundCloud timeline as to uh, maybe you want to skip forward. Maybe you want to hear just Alex and I's conversation about the vape mail ban, or maybe you're only concerned with hearing about current calls to action, whatever it may be. Hopefully, I can get those kind of comments. Now, I can't put clickable timestamps in uh, like you can do on YouTube, things like that. SoundCloud, I don't have that ability to do that for you guys. I would if I absolutely could, but I can't. But what I can do is hopefully get some little things posted on the, uh, on the I don't know, the audio timeline, if you will, on SoundCloud. So you should be able to click over to it, see that little comment. I'll have a little note there letting you know what that's for. And you should be able to start right there and listen away. So it's close. It's almost like a clickable timestamp, but you, you have to click on the timeline above the timestamp so it's close <laughs> it's close i'll do my best you guys uh, but as always i'll have links to everything right in the soundcloud description thank you alex for your time today on this lovely sunday afternoon monday for all of you listeners out there or whenever you're tuning in thank you please drop casa media uh, a follow right on soundcloud um, and soon hopefully i will have this podcast going out all over the place um, on other platforms as well so so yeah there we go. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week, Alex. All right. Any, any final thoughts for our listeners this week? No, I've given too many already. All right. That's it. That's <laughs> where we're going to end it, everybody. Much love to you guys. Stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week. Take care.